1: It has seemed like a long time since I stood in front of people to talk. Normally, it's just the camera, so it's nice to nice to see your shining eyes and be be in front of you guys and be able to just share uh, this morning. And uh, how many people here want to hear from God this morning? Okay, so we'll do something different then. We'll hear from God then. But uh, you know, that that's that's why I'm here. Is is I want to hear from God as well. Uh, because it's not just even I, I want to hear from God, but I need to hear from God. and and I think that's for for every one of us. and so hopefully hopefully God spoke to you uh, this morning through the when we were worshiping through song. Maybe it was through something that Peter had said or or one of the the lyrics or uh, or one of the choruses, but maybe maybe God connected you in that way. and I hope hoping the message this morning that God will connect through you uh, through, through what he's placed in my heart to share with you guys. But, but we also desire and recognize that God wants to speak through each and every one of you, and that it's not limited just to what God's put on my heart this morning. And so what we want to do is we always want to make space for the Holy Spirit. And, and what that means is that we've planned these songs, we've planned the message, but we also know that God's in each and every one of you guys. And so maybe God wants to put something on your heart or has put something on your heart that isn't part of planned. It's not in the schedule. It's not in the routine. But we want to always leave opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work and to speak. And so if you have something on your heart and you want to share and you believe that this is for the church, that there's some word of encouragement or something something that will bless one another, then we want to hear that. And so we, we're going to make space for that. And so we got a microphone up front here. And so, if you have something on your heart, just go go see one of the elders. So we got we got two of the elders here. Josh is over right now in the in the children's uh, Sunday school right now. But we got Greg here. Greg, if you want to stand up, go ahead and stand up, Greg. And uh, we got Robin as well. And. there's Robin. So if you have something that you want to share at any point during the during the service, and that's not just today, it's it's ongoing next week and the week after that. and it could be during the worship, it could be uh, through song, it could be through the message, whatever it is that you want that you feel you have something to share, go find one of us elders and, and let us know and and we'll make space for that so that we can, you know hear from God because God, I think wants to put something on on your heart as well. And, and for those of you who are at home, uh, you know, you're not left out of it as well. You too can also share something. You can share something in, in the Facebook comments there. Uh, or what you can do is on the, the Facebook community group is you can share some, share something. And what's really cool about that now is it's not limited just to Sunday morning. So if you have a, a word of encouragement, and maybe it's a, I've seen people posting songs in there or, or maybe there's a, a blog post you read that was really encouraging for you. Those would be examples of what you can do, but maybe even you just sort of record a video. Or just go live and, and share something. Or if you're you know wanting to make sure you can edit it a bit, maybe you type it out and post it that way. But we really want to make sure that we don't silence the Holy Spirit. Because I'm, I'm a firm believer that the Holy Spirit wants to, to speak through all of us so that all of us can be encouraged and be blessed. So don't rob us of that opportunity. All right, so we're going to now turn to our, our passage this morning that we're going to be studying. It's, it's in the book of Ephesians. And, and my goal this morning, hopefully, is to dismantle a myth something that a lot of people, I think, have been struggling with that have misunderstood in this passage. So we're going we're to read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Paul writes here, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we we get to dive into your word again, and that's always exciting, that's always encouraging to know that you want to to share something that you want to encourage us in some way. And I pray, Father, that we would ultimately hear from you, that your spirit would, would, would reveal your truth to us in a way that is far more than just about knowledge that we would discover the life, life in you and the power that that brings and the freedom that only your life can offer to us. And so Lord Jesus, I'm looking forward to what you have in store for us as we're trusting you as best we know how, both as teacher and as here. May your name be praised. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to begin by defining some, some key terms, I think. Throughout, throughout this chapter of Ephesians 5, Paul's been, been teaching us about how we are to live, or how, how we are to walk in our day-to-day lives. And so he's repeatedly uses that term walk. But it's not limited just here to the book of Ephesians, he uses it in other places as well. And, and it's again, it's all about now this practical living, how do we experience life. And so one example of this would be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets a desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another that you may not do the things that you please. What we see here are these these two contrasting ways to live. right? One is walking by or from the spirit and one is walking after or by the flesh. Now, you're going to hear a, a lot of this talk about flesh here at New Life because Paul and the other apostles, they talk about the flesh quite a bit. And so it's really important that we understand what he means when he's talking about the flesh. Because he, he talks about the flesh as something that we're warring against, something that we're in a battle against. And, and if we don't understand that, if we don't understand our enemy, then chances are he's going to beat us up. Chances are he's going to overcome us and overwhelm us and we'll be defeated. So we're going to take some time to make sure that we understand what it is that we mean by, or what Paul means by this term, the flesh. And we have talked about it in the past, but, but I know it's been a while for some, and some of you might have forgotten, and we've picked some up, some new people along the way. So let's understand what this term flesh means. The, the Greek word for flesh is, is literally sarx, and it, it literally means flesh, you know, skin and bones. It means your physical body, and, and sometimes that's what Paul means when he talks about the flesh. He's just talking about your body. But in the context, there's other parts, there's other phrases, uh, or other times where he means by flesh, is sort of a shorthand. And and he's describing something that resides within our physical body that is ultimately at war with you and I. There's a famous passage in Romans chapter 7 where where Paul's describing his own struggle with the flesh. And and it's where he's he's finding himself, I'm not doing what I want to do, and I'm doing the very thing I hate. How many people can relate to that, by the way? Excellent. Make a line. We'll have a little testimony time here and you come and share. It's something we all experience. And that's what Paul was experiencing. That's what Paul was was sharing to you and I. That even though as a believer, even though he has Jesus in him, he was struggling through life. He was struggling to experience Jesus in him. He was doing what he didn't want to do. But then he discovers something. He makes this this discovery that there's, there's something in him. That this man who has new desires and a new heart, who wants good, has something else at play. And so in, in Romans chapter 7, verses 20 and 21, he says this, But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And notice he's not denying responsibility here. He's not saying he didn't do it. You know, Hezekiah, when I kicked you in the shins the other day, I don't don't know what that was about, but it wasn't me. He's not denying that responsibility. He's taken on that responsibility. But look what he says. It's, It's no longer, I'm not the source of it. I'm not the one that's originating. It's not coming from me and my desires. Instead, it's this thing called sin. Or the flesh that is dwelling in me. So he makes this, this conclusion. I find then this principle, this, this rule, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now notice what he's saying here, that, that this thing called the flesh or sin is present in him, but it's not him. It, it's, it's waging war with him, but it's not who he really is. Now, that's really important that we understand because I think sometimes the flesh has been mis- mistranslated and misunderstood to be described as our sinful nature. In fact, there was a, a Bible that used to use that term. It used to translate the word sarks as sinful nature. And then they kind of dropped it in the last, uh, last decade. But the problem is that, that that language, that lingo now has infiltrated the church. And people talk about it as my sinful nature and they begin to own it as themselves. But you see, that's not who we are. And so I don't don't like the term sinful nature because I think it is confusing. But it's true, there was a part, there was a time when your nature was sinful. I was talking about who you were when you arrived here on planet Earth. When you were born a sinner. You were by nature sinful. You were by nature a child of wrath. That's true of who you used to be. But remember something happened on that cross. That set you and I free from who we are or who we were. That you and I were crucified and that sinner died and we were raised up as a new creation so that we have new desires and a new heart. But the flesh didn't die. Indwelling sin didn't die. It's still present. It's still here. And it's still wanting to take control. It's still attacking us over and over and over again. And so... I like to refer to the flesh as my old friend. And I use that term friend kind of, you know, tongue in cheek. Because it's not my friend. It's it's the voice that really comes along and it's the one that's shaming me. It's the one reminding me of my failures, reminding me of my shortcomings, reminding me of of where I'm not seemingly measuring up to ultimately not what God thinks I should be, but what it thinks I should be. Because the flesh is always trying to put me back under another law another standard another expectation and it's just constantly beating me up but here's the thing i fall for it thinking it's just ultimately my voice now let me give you an illustration i i had two older brothers so i don't know if you guys can relate to this if if you were the if you were the older brother then this probably describes you but but my, I had two older brothers, and one of them, in particular, I won't mention Paul's name. But he, what he would do is he would grab my hand when we were little kids in the back seat of the car, and he would start. Oh, I should be, I'll punch in this side. He would just start punching me, and he'd say to me, "Ross, why are you punching yourself?" Which is doubly insulting, right? Because now I'm being hit, and then he's blaming me for it, and it's a simple illustration. I'm glad you're laughing at my trauma. That's good. But um, but it's a great illustration of what the flesh does. Is It's punching you. It's condemning you. It's beating you up, but then makes you convinced that it's ultimately you. So how many people have ever thought or said, I'm my own worst enemy? It's not true not true. That's just the evidence of the flesh that has convinced you that you're your own worst enemy. It's the flesh that is trying to beat you up or is beating you up and condemning you. And, and, And so that's that voice. But the other thing the flesh is trying to do is it's trying to control us in a way to get us to do what it wants. And so here's what it does. It doesn't start off with, hey, here's a sin, let's go do it. Because quite frankly, that's not our desire. It's not our longing to so instead, it, it's got to back up a little bit, and it starts with amplifying some kind of a desire, some kind of a longing that says that here's how you can get a need, here's what you can do to, to feel better about yourself, to find comfort, or to find love, or to find significance and worth. And so it's stirring up these desires that I need it, but then at the same time, telling me that God will never be enough for it. That God just won't show up. He's abandoned me. Or that He he, he can't do this. He's not able to supply this. That that it's got to come in, that it's God plus something else to satisfy these desires. Isn't that what He essentially did with Satan, or Satan did with Adam and Eve in the garden? That God was holding out and you'd have to find it on your own terms. And so after stirring up this desire and, and laying this despair, and hopelessness that sin would, or that that God would be enough for it, the flesh, or indwelling sin now, begins to plant this idea, this thought of how it will satisfy my desire, how it will, it will give me what I'm looking for. Now, please understand, the behavior, the solution may not be overtly sinful. That's not the goal. The goal is to listen to the flesh and not listen to God. That's all he's after. Because the moment I'm, I'm listening to the flesh and I'm, I'm giving in to what it's saying to me, I become its instrument. And the outcome of that, Paul says, is always my own despair, my own emptiness. Looking to the flesh to satisfy my needs is about good, as good as drinking salt water from the ocean to satisfy a thirst. The more you drink, the more thirsty you become. Now, please, again, understand the flesh can look moral. It's not always overtly sinful, right? Think about the Pharisees of Jesus's day. They were the most moralistic people out there. And yet it was all flesh. It was all them doing it on their own strength and their own power. So for them, they wanted to find value and worth. And they thought the best way to find that value and worth was performing for acceptance, specifically through religion. Specifically through the law, trying to to gain God's and other people's approval through what they did. But then there's some other kinds of flesh that don't look so good. So for example, you're feeling insecure and vulnerable. And the flesh says, well, we need to take control. Because if we have that control, then no one's going to hurt you. And you'll be okay. If you're feeling shame and not good enough, then lie. Hide. Put on that, that mask to make sure that no one really sees what you're feeling inside. Just pretend that everything's okay and everything's fine. Feeling lonely and depressed? Well, pornography or food might be the answer. Feeling like your goal is being blocked, that things aren't going the way you want them to go? Then maybe anger will be the thing. Power up and and try to take charge of the situation. Or if you're just wanting to escape, just wanting to feel numb, not, not feel the weight of the frustration and the struggle, then then now you can get drunk and alcohol could be the answer. And that's what brings us to our passage this morning. So Paul's understanding that and what he's doing in this passage, he's trying to, he's trying to show to us what the flesh is offering to us and why it doesn't work, but what the Holy Spirit's offering in exchange. And so in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Now, please understand, Paul doesn't give a ban on alcohol. He doesn't say don't drink. That's not what he's saying. In fact, there are many examples in the the New Testament and Old Testament as well, where, where they talk about wine in a healthy way. For example, Jesus at the wedding, he turned water into wine. He was also accused of being a drunk. Well, how else would he be accused of being a drunk except he would drink alcohol from time to time? And please understand, it wasn't Welch's grape juice, as some have said. Now, I've heard the argument that people say, well, Jesus in Jesus' day, wine wasn't as strong as it was today. Well, maybe. Maybe, maybe the moonshine today is much stronger than what Jesus ever would experience in his day. But that's not really the point, is it? Because even if it's not as strong... It's still alcohol. And so it was okay to drink alcohol. In fact, drinking drinking wine and alcohol might not just not be wrong. It might even have a purpose. In Proverbs 31.6, the writer here says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. See, in a way, alcohol could be a form of medicine. It could be a way to, to help people when they're struggling in life. The issue isn't alcohol. The issue is the abuse of the alcohol. See, when, when mommy's medicine or, or daddy, when daddy needs to fall asleep, when it begins to take control or charge of our life, that's when we begin to turn to it too much. And this getting drunk, Paul says, is dissipation. Or, or quite simply, just it's, it's sinful. It's not of God. You see, the reason for that, so much so, is that when you and I are drunk, we're completely out of control. Look what the writer says again in Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5. He says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. Poor Lemuel, he just got got called out in scripture, by the way. But uh, it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of Of all the afflicted. You see, that when alcohol takes control of us, you won't be led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now it's the alcohol and ultimately the flesh that's going to control you. And the damage that it can cause is enormous. Again, in Proverbs 20 and verse 1: wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Can't you just picture that verse? That person who's drinking too much wine and just has the most cutting, uh, ruthless comments about other people. And then you picture the guy in the bar who's gotten so drunk and beaten everyone up that Adam has to come and usher him home. You see, again, alcohol is not the problem. But there are some who just can't not abuse it. That, that it's just got such a control over it that even one or two glasses is enough to control them. And, and this has only gotten worse in the last year. But listen to these stats. In, in 2016, so long before COVID, it's estimated that worldwide alcohol consumption contributed to 3 million deaths worldwide. To give some perspective, in the last 12 months, COVID has been linked to about 2.6 million deaths worldwide. Again, think about the reaction to COVID, and it still doesn't come close to what alcohol does. And alcohol has only gotten worse, or the abuse of it is. And that's just the number of deaths. That doesn't, doesn't take into account the damage that is caused to your own body, to your family, to your job? Because that is just ultimately too big to quantify. How many marriages and families have been destroyed over the abuse of alcohol? And, and just so we're clear, because I think some people who struggle with alcohol might feel centered out here. It's not just about alcohol. We, could, we can include any kind of impairment, anything that can to control and dominate our life could be drug abuse, things like marijuana and, and hash and other things. It, it could be food even. It could be spending all your time binging, watching Netflix and YouTube. They're even beginning to find that video games has a similar impact on, uh, as alcohol does, especially the withdrawal aspect of it. Now, let me be clear, I'm not here to beat anyone up as has never my heart to beat anyone up. And I know people here who struggle with alcohol and with drugs and, and, and with country music and other things like that. And so I, I, I understand that. But I'm not here to beat you up. If you hear that, say hello to your old friend. Because that's the flesh what we want to do in talking about this and why Paul's talking about it is we want to offer you a way out. We want to offer you another way to live that is healthy, that is profitable. One that that isn't about just getting numb and running away from our problems, but one that allows us to face them. One that allows the Holy Spirit to be what we need in that moment. To provide that grace and that life to satisfy all that we're longing for, but in a healthy way, in a gratifying way, in a way that works. So, again, in Ephesians 5 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but instead. And I, I like this, it's again, just to kind of slam home the point here this is God's big butt, right? God has a huge, enormous butt because it, everything switches, everything hinges, right? And it goes from this, don't get drunk, but it's not stopping there. It says instead, rather, but be filled with the Spirit. Now this, this passage here, that phrase, be filled with the Spirit, has caused all kinds of, of confusion, I think. And so I wanna start with what it's not talking about. And, and the first thing is, the most common one is this idea that, that Paul's inviting you and I into a second blessing that what basically what's been taught in some some denominations and some churches is this idea that that when you first get saved you you get the Holy Spirit in part It's like a, a glass that is half full And now what you need to do is now you need to pray and you need to invite the Holy Spirit to come and the Holy Spirit now will fill you the rest of the way and the evidence of that is will be some kind of spiritual, supernatural experience. You'll you'll speak in tongues. You'll you'll begin to prophesy. You'll begin to experience things in a supernatural way, and that is the evidence of God's filling of you. Here's a couple problems. One is it sets us up to all kinds of of, of a standard. Now, if I if I don't have those experiences, clearly I must something's wrong with me. And yet Paul makes it clear that not all speak in tongues. And that's not what he's talking about. So it's not this second blessing. It's not being now, now you graduate. Now you're filled with the Spirit. That's not what it refers to. Because the reality is the moment you were saved, you were made complete in Him. The moment you were saved, you got the Holy Spirit. And you have everything you now need for life and godliness. So it's not this idea of of being somehow this, this... uh, exuberant, spiritual, over-the-top, performing Christian. On the other end of it, though, it's not that somehow you become super spiritual in this solemn and stoic Christian. That's not what it's referring to. So let's, let's understand what Paul is talking about. And to do that, I think we need to understand the grammar here of what he's saying. So this being filled or be filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the grammar there is, is it's a present tense, which means that It's ongoing. Again, that tells us why it's not the second blessing, because then it'd have to be the second, third, fourth, fifth, and onward. It's it's happening right now. It's something each of us should be experiencing right now. So it's this present tense, ongoing, not a one-time act. It is an imperative, meaning it's a command. It's something that we're to do. It's something that we're to play a part of. But here's what's really interesting. The verb here is Passive which means it's not something you go and you do to yourself or you go and do to others but it's something that is being done to you and it's being done to you by the holy spirit now it's translated as as with and and that's not a bad translation but the with the holy spirit isn't the it's not talking about the content and i think that's where a lot of this confusion is that we read it and i need to be filled With the Spirit, meaning i got to get more of the Spirit inside of me. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying ultimately that we need to be being filled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing the filling, but not necessarily saying what the filling is. And I think really what he's saying to us is the filling is whatever you need in that moment. If you need power, if you need love, if you need comfort then that's the Holy Spirit that's going to provide that to you in that moment. So keep being filled. Keep allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work inside of you so you can experience that more and more in Him. So it's this idea here, it's that that the Holy Spirit's doing the filling of all that I need. So we could better translate Ephesians 5.18 this way. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be being filled by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is, this is I think what, what we've missed so much in our modern day church is that we've we've made the Christian life about what do you now do? What do you offer God? How do you how do you live this Christian life? And and quite frankly, God's not looking for what you can do. God's not looking for what you have to offer. In fact, that's why, as we were saying earlier, this idea that in order for God to make us strong, first he has to make us weak. That doesn't make sense. You would think the other way, that first you get strong and then you're strong. But but here's the thing, when I feel strong, who am I ultimately trusting in? In myself or my own abilities, which ultimately is exactly what the flesh wants. It wants me to handle it. And so it wants me to live the Christian life, trusting the flesh, which is, sounds weird, but yet we see so much of it in our Christianity. Anytime you see that that mean Christian, anytime you see that person who's just hurtful and unloving, what you're seeing is is a believer, a Christian, who is operating out of the flesh, and sometimes even doing it in the name of God. I've seen a lot of preaching done that way. But instead, what he's wanting us to do is to trust Jesus who lives in us. One of the the greatest things I learned and understood is why Jesus came to live in me. I I still remember when when Hannah was was, was four years old, my oldest Hannah. When she was four years old, she she was sitting at the dinner table one day, and she looked at me and she says, Daddy, I know why Jesus came to live in me. And I was excited because it took me 20 years to figure this out as a Christian. And so I thought, she's four. She's got it. What do you got? What do you got, Hannah? Why did Jesus come live in you? So we could watch the food go down. She was four, right? Cute answer for a four-year-old. But like I said, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I don't know if I could have given a better answer. Because I prayed that, right? The sinner's prayer. Lord, forgive my sins. And come live in me. Forgive me all those times I beat myself up, Paul. Forgive my sins for all the times I've I've blown it and I've I've sinned. And now come live in me. And I understood the forgiveness part, but I never understood for those first 20 years why he came to live in me. Until I discovered he came to live in me. And this this will revolutionize your life. Jesus came to live in you to live in you. It's so simple, we've missed it. That that he came to be the one that lives the Christian life because he's the only one that can. It's his life. He's the only one that can pull it off. And so he's inviting us to trust him to allow Jesus to be Jesus in us. So it's not by my strength, not by my power, but by trusting in the life of Jesus to do it. So so let me let me illustrate to you this way, and, and I need a couple volunteers. Thank you, Peter and Marco, for volunteering. I appreciate that. Uh, That was was great that you would do it. Come on up here. I really, you know, you guys are great. You just right off the gate, you know, raise your hand. It's great because they have no idea what's coming. That's what's really exciting here. So fortunately, you guys just get to be good-looking props. Well done. Good, good. All right, uh, so there are two roles. Um, do you guys want to do rock, paper, scissors for which role, or do you want me to assign them? All right, all right, so... Okay, so you're going to play the role of the Holy Spirit. S- sorry, Peter. Um, sorry. So you're going to play the role of the flesh, okay? And, and I'm going to play the role of, of me. I'm well-suited for it. So, um, Or you, the Christian. And, and I want you to think of each of these people, or, you know, uh, Peter the flesh and, and Mark the Holy Spirit. They're going to represent essentially their pipes, and I am like one of those those ball valves. I'm a valve, which basically gets to decide which pipe is going to to work, which one's going to uh, I'm going to turn to. And so basically, if I if I turn to Peter, if I turn to the flesh, what's going to happen now is the is the flesh is going to flow through me and out, and those around me are going to experience the flesh. They're going to experience that maybe anger, maybe maybe cruelty, maybe condemnation or judgment. It's going to maybe turn to alcohol, maybe turn to food. It's going to try to lead me to trust it, and so I've I've turned. To trust and listen to the flesh. And I've essentially turned my back on Mark. On the Holy Spirit. Now please understand. Does the Holy Spirit turn his back on me? No. Does he leave? Is he ashamed of me? Sometimes. No. Never. Never. He's right there the whole time. And all he's waiting for me now. Is to now turn my valve. To him. And now the life of the Holy Spirit can flow through me out to my family, to my wife, to my kids, to my friends, even those who are against me in that moment. And so it's just a question of choosing who do I turn to, right? So this idea of of be being filled, I'm not doing the filling, right? It's, It's the Holy Spirit that's doing the filling. My part is where will I turn the valve? And there's only two options. There's no third option. There's no kind of bit of both. It's, it's one or the other. And so that's the part I play. That's the command that God's given me, is to keep being filled, keep keep looking at, at Jesus to be that source of life. Thanks, guys. Give him a hand. So what is that? what does that look like in a, in a practical way? It, it simply means to talk with him. And by talking with him, I don't mean only praying. Praying to him is what I mean specifically. Because I I hear people, I pray to God all the time. Which I know isn't true because no one talks to God that way all the time. But then I ask this question often. And so what does he say to you? And that's when they're not quite sure. Because they've only assumed it. It's just basically it's a one-way discussion where you talk to God. But listen, folks, God came to live in me not to be quiet. He wants to talk to me. And, and I, may, I may have to learn and grow and mature to recognize his voice. In fact, I'm still learning to do that. But I can listen to him as I talk with him. And, and so there's this conversation going on between me and him. And then there's a choice to trust in his strength. You know, when I was coming up here this, you know, before we started here, I was having that conversation. Going, God, I, I'm I'm feeling extra nervous here because it's been a couple of months before I stood up in front of a crowd. So, Lord, I'm going to trust you some more, and I'm going to choose to trust you, and I'm going to choose to for you to speak through me and to say whatever you want to say, even if it's not in my notes. And so I'm, I'm listening for him and, and, and trusting him to carry out what he wants me to do. Now, a lot of people ask again, well, how do I know what he's asking me to do? Which I'm glad you're asked. Verses 19 to 21 is, is really, it's an expression of what being, being filled by the Holy Spirit looks like. So let's start in verse 18 again. And do not get drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but be being filled. Keep being filled by the Holy Spirit, Jesus in you. And this is what it will look like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Please understand, just so we're clear, behavior does not lead to being being filled. Doing the right thing doesn't now invite the Holy Spirit in, or to experience the Holy Spirit, I should say. Instead, we experience the Holy Spirit, I've turned to experience that life, and now the behavior flows out of it. So behavior is the expression, the result of me listening and trusting Jesus in me. Or the, the other side of it is the, the not-so-good-looking behavior is me trusting and listening to the flesh and experiencing that sewage that's coming out. Now in these, these three verses, verses 19 and 21, there's essentially four parts to it. And they kind of form a sandwich where the, the first part and the fourth part are basically God saying, this is what it looks like to experience the Holy Spirit within a community of people. Community of others. And so please understand that Christianity is not, not an individual sport. It's a team sport. We, we need one another. We're going to experience life together. And, and there's no other way because that's the way God's designed it. But parts two and three in those verses, Paul's now talking about how do we experience community with God? How do we look to him? So let's look at the first one about speaking to one another. And notice what he's talking about. It's encouraging. It's encouraging. It's lifting up, it's building up one another through psalms, hymns, or spiritual psalms. Now, psalms, there is essentially, there are the poems, and I think he's not limiting himself to the book of the psalms, but really I think it's any kind of scripture, where we're, we're not preaching at people with scripture verses, but we're reminding and encouraging one another about what does Father's Word say about who you are, about who He is, and how He wants to be enough for us. And, and then there's hymns, the songs we sing, now, please understand, these hymns are not referring to, you know, the, the songs that were written only in the 17th century. How Great Thou Art, or, or um, Amazing Grace, or anything like that. It's not referring to old songs. Hymns are just any kind of songs. And so, it might even be some of the songs, or all the songs we sang this morning. Right? Uh, Reckless Love, or, or or No Longer Slaves, or, or any of those songs. All of those would fit under the hymn category. Because... Think about it. In Paul's day, there were no hymns in the way that we think of them as. But then there are these spiritual songs. And I, I think that was really interesting that he he, he put this word pneumatikos in front of him, which is spiritual. And basically, I think what he's highlighting there is these are songs. These are, are expressions. And I don't think they have to be limited to songs, but they're words of encouragement that are motivated by the Spirit of God in you. And so you might, you might pull a brother aside and just... You might share something. It's essentially what we've invited you to do to come up here and share with the church. That would fit under that category of a a spiritual song. Now remember what what we've been learning though about about songs and specifically about worship the last couple weeks with Robin. that, That worship is always a response to what God does in us first. Right? God's done, done doing something within us, and we're responding to that. So now he's going to turn that attention to, to what is our, our attitude towards God. And so in Ephesians 5.19, it talks about singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. See, worship is, is to God and only God. Right? It's, it's an audience of one. And, and so that's what we're doing. And so all our acts of worship are to be towards God and there to be with all your heart he says everything you have remember what robin i mean this was so beautiful when he said about our first instrument of worship is what remember our first instrument is our soul Do you hear that robin they, they heard that they got it right that's our first act that's our first instrument right so it's it's responding there and so that's where it's starting from it's not just outward It's not just singing the songs or or talking to people and so forth. It's all originating within our heart, within our soul. As a response to who God is, what he's done, and what he's doing in you. And then he's singing and making melody in our hearts to him. Now again, worship is so much more than just singing. Right? Worship is, there's one act of worship with many expressions, as Robin said. And so it's beyond all that singing. So let me let me share with you my dream for New Life Fellowship. What I would love to see happen. See, right now we're, we're currently praying and searching and asking God to give us a, a facility, a building that we would have 24-7. That we'd be able to operate all week long, uh, not just on on a Sunday morning. And when I think about this place, I think the best title, the best description for it is it needs to be a house of worship. But let's reevaluate what we've learned about worship now. See, when I say house of worship, I don't mean just on Sunday mornings. I don't mean just a place where we get together and sing a few songs and and that's the worship. Because remember, there's... There's all kinds of things that can be an act of worship. Anything you're doing in trusting Jesus becomes an act of worship. And so yes, singing songs can be an act of worship. But me getting up here and speaking to you can be an act of worship to God. Me loving my wife is an act of worship. Me parenting my kids is an act of worship. Me at my job, taking out the garbage, washing dishes, putting the dishes away, even more importantly, is an act of worship if I'm trusting in the Holy Spirit. So when I think about this building becoming a house of worship, I don't just mean singing. I mean in all kinds of different forms. So this one act of worship through many expressions could be through song. And I I think about a place where maybe we gather midweek and people just come to worship God through singing and and maybe we we get together and we sing these songs that we've been doing this morning or maybe people bring their own song and others work together with them on that song and they can create something that way or maybe they take one of these songs that's already out there but they create their own arrangement for it, the more something that's a bit more fun and uplifting and less countryish and and so maybe they that's what they do or or maybe there's some drama where there's a chance to do some skits when some of them are fun and frivolous and lighthearted because that's the heart of God too. And then other ones are a bit more serious and to the point. It could be all over the place. Maybe it could be through painting. Just again, all these expressions of art, expressions of creativity that God has birthed in every one of us. Maybe it's, maybe it's playing sports together. Maybe it's, it's helping out with leading the youth ministry and, and, and really pouring into that next generation so they could experience life together. Maybe it's playing board games with one another. Even cards, yes, face cards. And then clearly the one I'm most looking forward to is seeing the Maple Leafs lift the Stanley Cup as they beat Boston, right? That's what we're all praying for, right? But imagine doing that together and that's what God's looking for. That's what He's wanting. Because you see, it's not about getting together to sing songs, or or create some kind of a drama skit, or to, to to even watch the Leafs, or or paint, or play sports. That's not really the point. The point was just to get together, to laugh and play together, and get to know one another. Because in doing so, we're we're building up a relationship now with one another. A relationship that allows me for two things. One, it allows me to have someone to support and be supported by when I'm struggling. When I'm going through a bit of a valley. When I'm going through a difficult time. And I can have people who will know my heart and come alongside and support me. Or I can do with them. But, but the other thing it does is it allows me to know God in a, in a better way. Because because the reality is, I can't know God to the degree I want to on my own. My finite mind cannot understand an infinite God properly. Instead, I I need you. I need to meet God in Lisa. Because God in Lisa is going to show to me a different side of God that I never saw before. And it's beautiful, by the way. It really is. And I want to meet God in Matt. And I want to meet God in Ryan, and I I want to meet God in all of you, so that it begins to I can begin to see this this infinite God, this this enormous God that is worth celebrating. That's that's what He's wanting to do, and so we get to do this when we gather to worship, in many different acts, in many different ways. Now, please again understand, this is not a social club. It's, it's much more than that. It's the opportunity to experience God. And I think that's why, that's why some churches have struggled this last year under the pandemic and the lockdown. It's because they didn't know what to do with themselves if they didn't have Sunday morning. Because that, for them, was what church was. And... This morning, whenever we gather on a Sunday morning, it's a big event, it's a cool event, but it's just a event, it's just a opportunity for us to connect with one another. For us to to experience God in one another. Yes, through worshiping through song, through a worship of a message, but also the worship of fellowship. Where we just get to just chat and talk with one another. So let's... Let's wrap this up then and think of it in these terms. That all our acts of worship, they start with turning to Jesus, right? They start with turning to the Holy Spirit to allow us to be being filled by Him. That means talking to Him. It means listening to Him. And it means trusting Him then. Trusting Him to to step out of our comfort zone. Trusting Him to to take a risk. Trusting Him to, to risk community. To risk vulnerability with other people. Even though there's not just the chance, but the likelihood that you will get hurt. Because see, in trusting him, we can trust that we know what he's doing. We, we don't have time for it this morning, but there was that line in there that, that I thought about speaking to a bit more, but just didn't have time, but this idea of, of giving thanks for all things. Now, there's a passage in in 1 Thessalonians that says we're to give thanks in all things. People love that passage because they say, well, we we are supposed to give thanks in them, but not for them. And yet in Ephesians here, it says give thanks for all things. Now, please understand, it's not that you're giving thanks for pain. Because if you enjoy pain that way, I know of some counselors. We can help you because it's not healthy. If you can avoid pain, avoid the pain by all means. But there are other times where that pain, those difficult circumstances, are what God is using to open our eyes to experience a greater joy and a greater power in Him. And so I can can trust my God. I can trust a God who loves me and cares for me that even in those difficult times, even in those painful moments, He's doing what's in my best and that He will supply all the grace and all the power that I need in that moment. Let me close with a a benediction of sorts that I think summarizes very well. It's written by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4. It says that each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That many expressions of one act of worship, that many expressions of Christ in each and every one of us. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, the life of God in them. So that in all things, in every moment, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, because Jesus is speaking, Jesus is serving, Jesus is working, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever amen let's pray father thank you Jesus that that life in you is everything we need that you have you've gifted to us your holy spirit and we don't have to go looking for him now you've given him to us and so now lord Jesus what we can do is is we can we can turn to you and allow your life to flow in us and i pray that that this church will be a place that experiences that life through each and every one of us in your name we pray amen
0: you've been listening to the new life fellowship podcast thanks for joining us for more great content please be sure to check out our website newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.